0: Well, the year was 1829, and in 1829, there was a certain man by the name of George Wilson, and George Wilson was a career criminal, and he seemed to have a penchant for robbing postal workers, and so one day, he robbed a U.S. postal worker and almost killed the man. He was arrested, and the following winter and spring, he had a trial in 1830. He was convicted in May of 1830 on six charges, including violent assault. And that violent assault charge brought with it the death penalty. And so George Wilson was scheduled to be hung on July 2nd, 1830. But that's when things got really interesting. He was scheduled to be hung, but it turns out George Wilson had some friends in some pretty high places. And so they petitioned President Andrew Jackson to give him a presidential pardon. They didn't want him to hang, so they bent the ear of President uh, Andrew Jackson, and Andrew Jackson, in fact, did give George Wilson the presidential pardon, and he expunged from his record the charge that brought with it the death penalty. He'd still have to serve jail time, but he wouldn't hang. The president offered him the gift of life. But It got even more interesting at that point because George Wilson declined the presidential pardon. Well, this had never happened before. The courts didn't know what to do. Seriously? You'd rather hang than live? And no matter how much they tried to convince him, he refused to accept the presidential pardon. So the lower courts didn't know what to do. they had never even dreamed of someone being stupid enough to say, I want to hang instead of be set free. And so this went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court to hand down a decision. What do we do with this guy that doesn't want to accept a presidential pardon? And the Supreme Court handed down this decision. They wrote, A pardon is an act of grace, and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him Therefore, George Wilson must die. George Wilson did, in fact, die. Having rejected the gift of grace, George Wilson hung for his crimes. I wonder this morning, if you were in George Wilson's shoes, would you have done what he did? Would you have said, Oh, presidential pardon? hey, no thanks. I think I'll hang instead. No one in this room would have done that, right? That would be dumb. But I wonder if any of us are a modern-day George Wilson who, when push comes to shove, reject the pardon offered by Jesus Christ in the same way that George Wilson rejected that presidential pardon. Jesus didn't disappoint, did he? When Nicodemus came to him in John chapter 3, we've been seeing over the last few weeks that this most famous conversation in the Bible between Jesus and Nicodemus was filled with some good spiritual meat. Nicodemus came, he had lots of questions, Uh, he was hungry for the truth, he was thirsty for a closer relationship with God, and once again, Jesus didn't disappoint, did he? Jesus answered his questions and he helped to uh, solve that hunger issue that he had for the truth and he helped to quench his thirst. And so he came to Jesus. And by the way, I'm hearing an echo back here. Kent, if we can close that back door, that'd be awesome. And so Jesus didn't disappoint. We saw in verses 3 and 5 here in John chapter 3 that Jesus made it clear to Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, he must be born again. He must be born of water and the Spirit. Every one of us has been born once. The question is, have you been born a second time? We've all been born physically through water as we were naturally born from our mother's wombs. But the question is, have we been born a second time? Have we been born through the Spirit? Have we been born through faith in Jesus Christ? Never forget, when it comes to living and dying, there are really only two options. You can either be born twice and die only once. Or you're born once, and you end up dying twice. But because God so loved the world, He did provide a, a wonderful option for us, not just to be born once and die twice, and according to Revelation 20, that second death is that lake of fire, that place we know as hell, where we spend an eternity separated from God. Jesus Christ came to offer us second birth, to offer us new spiritual, supernatural birth. Amen? Isn't that good? All two of you, amen? Amen. Isn't that awesome that we can be born twice so we only die once, just die physically, but we get to live forever in heaven with God? A place where there's no more pain and no more sorrow and no more funerals. I do a lot of funerals as a pastor, and what an awesome thing that's going to be to know that there are no more funerals in heaven. That's amazing news, isn't it? But how exactly do we enter the kingdom of heaven? How can we be born again? what well, we saw over the last couple of weeks that Jesus answers that question in John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life so how can we be born again we can be born again by believing in other words by having faith in by trusting in Jesus Christ and this morning we pick up in John chapter 3 verse 17 where Jesus begins to wrap up his life-changing conversation there with Nicodemus. So make sure you're there in your Bibles. We're in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Jesus continues by saying, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he is not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Well, John 3.16 is an amazing verse, isn't it? But I want to share with you this morning that John 3.17 is an equally amazing verse. Look at that verse again, John 3.17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Him, Let's look at this amazing verse and a few other English translations. The New American Standard says it this way, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. Good news translation. For God did not send His Son into the world to be its judge, but to be its Savior. Isn't that good? How about the message? God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger Telling the world how bad it was, he came to help, to put the world right again. Did you notice the word judge in a a few of these translations? The NIV says he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Many translations say he didn't send his son to judge the world. These words judge and, and condemn are translations of the word that was originally used by Christ in this verse. It's the Greek word krino. Say that with me. Krino. So crino translates as to decide, to judge, to condemn. Interestingly, crino literally means to separate. So Jesus literally is saying, for God did not send his son into the world to separate the world. Now, that's a really important point because Jesus is saying God did not send him in the world to separate Jew from Gentile. God didn't send Jesus into the world to separate the good people from the bad people, to separate the religious people from the irreligious people, to separate those who are going to heaven from those who are going to hell. You could even say it this way. God did not send his son into the world to separate the sheep from the goats. And you're like, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say himself that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats? He did, in fact, say that at his second coming... He will separate on Judgment Day the sheep from the goats, but not at His first coming. His first coming was not about separation. It was not about separating in order to condemn. It was not about separating in order to judge. His first coming was all about love and salvation. Amen? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. In love, God has offered every person on this planet the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. But just as President Jackson couldn't force George Wilson to accept a presidential pardon, God cannot and God will not force you or me to receive his loving pardon from hell. What you do with God's get-out-of-hell-free card is up to you. Make sure you don't miss what Jesus is saying here in verses 17 and 18. Jesus didn't come to earth to condemn us to hell. We had already beaten him to the punch, hadn't we? We were doing a mighty fine job of making our way to hell without Jesus being involved at all. We don't need his help to go to hell, right? We don't need his help to go to hell. The truth is we go to hell on our own. We're drowning already in our own sin. We're already in a ship that is sinking before Jesus says word one to us. That's the truth. So it breaks my heart to realize that Satan has convinced most of our family members and friends and neighbors that if so-called good people end up in hell, it must be God's fault. If so-called religious people end up in hell, it must be God's fault. Because most people in our society believe that hell, it's appropriate for murderers. It's appropriate for rapists. It's appropriate for child predators. But other than that, if you're generally viewed as a good person or generally viewed as a religious person, it's not for you. So if you end up there, it's God's fault. He must be some cruel, vindictive God. Jesus must not be all he's cracked up to be. Here's the truth. If you end up in hell, you have no one to blame but yourself. If you end up in hell, let me put this in plain English, in 2023 language. If you end up in hell, it's your own damn fault. That's the truth. That's the truth. God didn't sin, you did. Jesus doesn't deserve hell, you do. And it's not Jesus' fault that you didn't take hold of God's get out of hell free card. The fault is all yours. Jesus threw you a lifeline and you shoved it back in his face. You see, God sent Jesus to deliver and save, not to judge and condemn. Do you remember the time when the Apostle Peter walked on the Sea of Galilee? The storm was raging. Jesus was coming to him, walking on water. And Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to walk on water. And Jesus says, all right, come on out. And so Peter steps out of the boat. And the rest of them are probably like, no, don't do it, Peter, don't. But he gets out of the boat, starts walking on water. He takes a few steps. But remember what happens next. He sees the waves crashing and he hears the wind howling and the wind and the waves get him all spooked and he's panic-stricken. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. You remember what Jesus did? Jesus went over, reached down to Simon Peter. You remember what he did? And he shoved his head underwater, right? You don't have any faith, Peter. You don't deserve to be saved. Get down there. Get down. Get down. Did he do that? Now, what did Jesus do? He reached down. It says, in fact, in Matthew chapter 14, 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. He caught him. Jesus didn't reach out his hand to drown Peter. Peter was drowning just fine on his own, right? He didn't need Jesus' help to drown. Jesus reached out his hand in love to save Peter. You remember a certain man named Malchus that lost his right ear? Malchus was the name of the high priest's servant who was in that group that arrested Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Malchus was there, part of that group. They were arresting Jesus. Simon Peter got a little impetuous. He pulls out a sword and slices it at Malchus, cuts off his right ear. There's Malchus with his, the side of his head bleeding profusely and he's missing an ear that's on the ground beside him. Remember what Jesus does? Jesus goes up to Malchus. And he says, serves your rights, you one-eared loser. Right? Is that what Jesus did? Jesus turns to Peter and says, put your sword away. The one who lives by the sword will die by the sword. He reaches down, puts up the ear, back on his head, right side up, by the way. Puts it back on the head. Jesus wasn't playing the goofy games. Hey, the guy with the upside down ear. <laughs> I healed that guy, kind of. No, Jesus didn't do that. He healed the man completely. And so what an interesting thing that Jesus with Malchus, when it comes down to it, he didn't reach out his hand to make Malchus suffer. Malchus was suffering just fine on his own. Jesus reached out his hand and loved to heal Malchus. Do you remember the guy that was the thief on the cross next to Jesus? As he's hanging there on the cross with nails in his hands and his feet, he cried out and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your father's kingdom. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Did did he turn to the thief on the cross and say, Fat chance, you thieving no good loser, you're going to hell. Jesus didn't say that, did he? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today... You'll be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't turn to the thief on the cross and condemn him for his sin. Jesus turned to him in love and forgave him. You see, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You think about those three individuals. Peter, when he was drowning and Jesus reached out his hand, did Simon Peter say, no thanks, I, I think I'll drown instead, Jesus. <laughs> just, just let me drown here in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, thanks for the offer, but no thanks. When it came down to it, did Malchus say, you know what? I, I, I don't really mind the sensation of, of blood streaming from the side of my head. I, I, I don't mind going through the rest of my life with only one ear. <laughs> yeah, Don't heal me, Jesus, no thanks. Does the thief on the cross say, you know, on second thought... I think I will die this excruciating death and then spend eternity in hell. No thanks, Jesus. They would have been fools to say that. Of course Peter is going to take the lifeline so he doesn't drown. Of course Malchus is going to receive the healing and have the pain immediately stop and have his ear for the rest of his life. Of course the thief on the cross is going to prefer paradise over hell. So why on earth would anyone reject the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers? Why would anyone choose hell over heaven? When the greatest gift in the history of the world is being offered to them, it's a great question. Why would anyone reject it? And Jesus answers that question in verses 19 through 21. Notice again what Jesus says, beginning in verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Back in John 1 verse 4, the apostle John tells us plainly that in Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. So when Jesus says here in John 3 verse 19, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. What's he saying? He's saying, bottom line, that most people in this world love the darkness the world offers more than they love the light that Jesus Christ offers. He's saying, is he not, that most people love their own evil deeds more than they love the righteousness of Jesus. That's tragic, isn't it? But it actually gets even worse because in John 8 verse 12 Jesus says flat out I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So really here in John 3:19 Jesus is actually saying that most people in this world love darkness and their evil deeds more than they love Jesus. Most people will say they love Jesus, but the sad truth is most people love their wickedness more. Isn't that the truth? Most people across our nation, if you corner them and ask them, do you love Jesus, most people say, sure, I love Jesus. Yeah, he's a great guy. The problem is most people love their darkness more. Many alcoholics and drug addicts say they love Jesus, so why are they still getting drunk and shooting up every weekend? In most cases, because they love their buzz and they love their fix more. Why are so many church-going men addicted to porn? They say they love Jesus. The problem is they love their porn more. Why is it that so many church members are selfish and materialistic and greedy? They claim to love Jesus, but the fact is they love their stuff more. I think of that uh, rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And remember, he, he comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him a few of the Ten Commandments. And the man says, yeah, I did that one. I did that one. I've done all of them. And Jesus says, wonderful. Go home, sell everything you own, give the money to the poor, and come and follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. And it says the man went away sad. Why? Because he loved Jesus, but he loved his own stuff more. So why do people reject Jesus Christ even though he offers them a no-brainer blessing of eternal life and forgiveness? Because they love their sin more. Many self-proclaimed Christians love their own darkness more than they love Christ's light. And sadly, in recent years, many churches across America have chosen to stand in our culture's darkness instead of standing in the light of Christ. Many churches now proclaim their support for sexual sin. More and more churches are flying the rainbow flag next to the cross of Christ, advocating for homosexuality and transgenderism and other LGBT issues. These churches are standing in the darkness, and their leaders will be held accountable on Judgment Day. Many churches are strong supporters of abortion. That's a slap in God's face. You can't say, I love Jesus and kill the babies He's created in the mother's womb the next second. You can't do that. You'll either love one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and sin. And the same goes for churches that promote greed and materialism. It's inexcusable. Neither a Christian nor a church can serve two masters. These are just a few of the examples of how Christian churches have stepped out of Christ's light and have embraced and loved darkness instead. Friends, Christianity has never been simply about believing in Jesus. That's John three sixteen and 17, two of the most important verses in the Bible. But following Christ has never been, been about simply believing in Jesus. Christianity has always been about believing in Jesus and walking in the light of Jesus. That's John three eighteen through twenty one. You see, you can't just look at John three sixteen and close the Bible and say it's done. You look at John three sixteen and seventeen together with John three eighteen through twenty one. Believing in Jesus coupled with walking in the light of Jesus. You cannot have Jesus as your Savior without having Jesus as your Lord. You cannot have Jesus as your Lord without having Jesus as your Savior. The two go hand in hand. So, when it comes down to it, it's easy to say, I love Jesus, but talk is cheap. The proof of your love for Christ is in your actions, your priorities, your lifestyle. Of course you love Jesus. What's not to love? Jesus is amazing. Any fool would believe in Jesus and and love Jesus, but the question is, do you love your darkness more? Truth be told, most people, even many self-proclaimed Christians, love their darkness more. Jesus proclaims here in verses 19 through 21, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Sadly, in eternity, there will be many people in hell who believed in Jesus, who were baptized, who attended church services and freely proclaimed that they loved Jesus. But when push came to shove, they refused to come out of the darkness and walk into the light. Why? Because they refused to let go of their foolish sin. They refused to let go of their wickedness. Like Charlie Brown's friend Linus clinging to his silly blanket, most people cling to their sin and they refused to let go of it and hand it over to Jesus Christ and walk into the light. They were drowning in their own sin and then loved Jesus threw them a life preserver, but they refused to take hold of it. They rejected God's gift of love. They chose instead to drown in their sins within arm's reach of a Savior who died for those sins. Is it Jesus' fault that they experience a second death in hell? Not at all. Has Jesus condemned them No way. Jesus has only loved them and offered to save them. It's their own fault. By clinging to their own sin, they have condemned themselves. As the Apostle Paul discovered and proclaimed, if we will let go of that sin, if we will take hold of the lifeline Jesus gives us, he writes in Romans 8, 1 and 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I want to share with you three life lessons that we can pull from this great passage today. Life lesson number one. Before Jesus came onto the scene, you were drowning in your own sin. You were self-condemned. Read that with me. Before Jesus came onto the scene, you were drowning in your own sin. You were self-condemned. Never forget this point. Going to hell is so easy. You just be born once. We've all met that criterion, right? You've all been born. You're here. You're alive on earth. That's all you need to do to go to hell. And you do a darn good job of getting to hell on your own without Jesus having to lift a finger. Jesus doesn't need to get involved if you're going to go to hell. You are self-condemned because of the sin that you've done freely that defies a holy God. Every person who ends up in hell will end up there because of their own wicked choices. They will be there because they wanted to live life on their own terms. They didn't care about God. They ignored God's commands. And when Jesus Christ stretched out His hand to offer them a lifeline like a cockroach fleeing the light at 2 a.m., they scurried back into their own darkness. So why are they in hell? Ultimately, they preferred the darkness of hell to the light of heaven that is heartbreaking one thing i hope you will understand over these past few weeks as we spent some time in john 3 is once you understand how amazing the love of jesus christ is you really realize how hideous hell is going to be once you realize how amazing jesus Christ's love is You realize how important it is that we share the good news of Jesus with those around us and not throw up our hands and say, well, they're a pretty good person. Hopefully they make it. They're a pretty religious person. Hopefully they make it. We realize that we have to tell people about the greatest thing this world world has ever seen, Jesus Christ. We have to tell people about Jesus. Life lesson number two, read this with me. Jesus didn't come to earth in anger to bring you judgment. He came to earth in love to bring you the gift of salvation. One more time. Jesus didn't come to earth in anger to bring you judgment. He came to earth in love to bring you the gift of salvation. Would you agree that the perfectly holy creator of the universe had every right to come to earth 2,000 years ago and judge you and me? Would you agree that God had every right to judge us Because we sinned plenty against him, didn't we? Would you agree that Jesus had every right to come to earth and condemn us? He had every right to come to earth and wave his finger in our faces and tell us how evil and wretched and wicked we were? He had every right to do that. Because he is the perfect creator of heaven and earth, the perfect Lamb of God. He had every right to come as a judge his first time that he came to earth. But he didn't, did he? Instead, he chose to come in love and grace. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. Life lesson number three, please read this with me. When Jesus Christ reaches out to save you, you have only two choices. You can cling to your sin and stay in the dark or you can cling to Christ and step into the light. Amen. Amen. One more time. This is good. When Jesus Christ reaches out to save you, you only have two choices. You can cling to your sin and stay in the dark, or you can cling to Christ and step into the light. So the question is, which will it be for you? Amen. President Jackson reached out to George Wilson and offered him a lifeline, giving him a pardon from his sin, offering him a golden opportunity to step into the light And George Wilson, like a fool, refused it. And according to Jesus, most people today, like George Wilson, refuse Jesus' lifeline and pardon from sin. How sad. How foolish. I wonder this morning, are you another George Wilson? Are you rejecting the no-brainer greatest gift in the world that has been offered to you freely? I hope you aren't like George Wilson rejecting the forgiveness and grace that Christ has offered to you. The light of the world, Jesus Christ, is within arm's reach. I hope and pray that you'll take hold of His lifeline today, tomorrow, and every day until God calls you home. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thanking you for the privilege of new life, thanking you for the privilege of Being able to know the salvation of Christ. To trust in Him. To have faith in Him. To take hold of Him. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for loving us first before we ever gave You a passing thought. You had every right to come and condemn us. You had every right to come and judge us. You had every right to wave Your finger in my face and tell me how wretched of a sinner I am because I've sinned against You thousands and thousands of times but you came in love and offered me and each of us grace and mercy I pray that each of us would take hold of that and not be so selfish as to keep that wonderful message and gift to ourselves cleanse us oh God pray for anyone here today that knows in their heart they need to make a decision for Christ. I pray that they would make that decision. Coming to you and saying, Lord Jesus, I've been living for myself. Please forgive me. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are my only lifeline to forgiveness and eternal life in heaven. So I invite you into my life. Take hold of my heart. I promise to turn from my sin and follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.